Good morning, Calvary. Glad you're here today. If you have a Bible, let's open together to Revelation chapter 8. Revelation chapter 8. Are you enjoying the study in the book of Revelation? And are you just saying that because I asked? Okay. <laughs> Who said that? Larry, you said that? Okay. Um, hey, the book of Revelation is the last book of your Bible. We're in the section that causes most people to stop reading. It's challenging to make your way through chapter 6 through 18 or 19. And uh, we're going to do it with a full heart and say, Lord, teach us. Can I remind you of one of, the, one of the goals of this study is to experience the promise of Jesus that you would have a blessed life, that you would be blessed in your own spiritual life. In chapter 1, verse 3, it really opens up and John says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So you might not have known that when you came to church, you, you might have been suspicious whether you'd actually feel blessed. But Jesus promised that you listen and try to keep these words, you will experience a blessing in your life. I'm not telling you what that's going to feel like, what it's going to look like. I don't want you to interpret it as financial blessing. I want you to think of it as God is going to be ministering to you in an interior way through the power of His Spirit by the truth of God that's going to change your life and help you say, ah, there's a God. He's working in my life. That's what I pray happens for you today. I look around the room today, and there are a number of you who are here for the first time because you have a freshman at CU. And we welcome you especially. If you're here for Parents Week, end, it's only end, weekend, uh, we're glad that you're here and hope it's a great weekend for you. And uh, if you're a college student here, we're really glad you're here. We pray this will be a place that you'll be able to connect, grow spiritually, find friends, find mentors. Uh, we really want people on CU's campus uh, to follow Jesus, to love Jesus. Uh, and I won't say anything else about what happened this weekend. Okay. So this is the blessing we want for you. The blessing that we want. And now we're going to enter a section in the Bible that really talks, uh, it sort of makes it hard, how do you apply the judgments of God in a way that we'll feel blessed about it. Because the major theme of these chapters is the judgment of God on a rebellious and sinful world that rejects Him. You might ask the question, why would God judge humans? Do you ever think about that? We don't like to, but why would God include in His Bible a section in which He describes His righteous judgment against sin and evil and rebellion? The answer briefly is that God is holy. He is perfect. We are His by creation. 
We can be His by redemption, but God is not indifferent to sin. It matters. And all of His Word is about what He's doing to change people from rebels to people who submit to Him and love Him and follow Him. It is the cross of Jesus where the most ultimate judgment of God has been rendered. So as we go through this section on judgment that is in the book of Revelation, all of us who know the Bible and know what Jesus did should think that the ultimate expression of judgment against sin and rebellion already happened. When God sent His Son into the world and Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and He was buried and He was raised on the third day and He ascended into heaven. Christ died for sins. And that's why I can say to you, I'm forgiven because of Jesus. Can you? If you can say that, then you should be able to look at these judgments that are unfolded in human history at the end of the age and say, that's going to be really bad, but the very worst thing that ever happened was Christ died. I want to be in Christ. And if you come to Christ, you, you're, you're forgiven. And there is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And everybody said. Okay, that's the point. But here we go. In, in time and history, um, God is justified to judge people who rebel against Him and refuse to acknowledge Him and destroy His plan for the world in all kinds of ways. And they're numerous. You'll remember that last week, if you were here, we looked at Revelation chapter 6 and um, there was a cry from the martyrs in verses 9-11 through 11 where the martyrs are before the throne of God and they say, God, how long, how long until you make these things right? And it turns out that these chapters are the judgment of God being worked out on the, human, uh, on the stage of human history. Now we looked at three kinds of judgments that are going to come. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and the bold judgments. And we're trying to stay up high enough that we can get the big picture and then get the deepest understanding that helps us know that without getting bogged down and trying to interpret every small nuance of all the verses. But here's the quick summary from last week. I'll put it on the screen. You can have it. There are six sealed judgments. Remember, it was a scroll, and there was only one person who was worthy to break the scroll. And so Jesus began to undo the scroll, which is the recording of God's plan for the end of the age. The scroll opened up, and the scroll said, oh, the first scroll judgment is that there will be war, violence, economic disparity and scarcity and famine. There's death. And the first four went together. And then the next two went together, five and six, that the prayers of the saints before the throne was one of the things that Jesus saw in the scroll that all the people who ever prayed for God to deliver them are before the throne of God. And it's as if those prayers, God is going to pick up those prayers and answer those prayers. And that will be the unfolding of the answer to how long, O Lord, answer now. And then the last one is there's just cosmic chaos in the universe. There's earthquake, the sky is darkened, and if you look at chapter 6, and um, let's see, what do I want to get to chapter 6, and the very last verse, verse 14, says the sky vanished like a scroll, and you see a picture of this chaos that it looks like the world just decreates, and the sky's gone. 
So some people think that the book of Revelation has these judgments, seals, trumpets, bowls, and they run in a linear, sequential way, one after the other, the series of judgments. And that's possible. But I look at the end of the cosmic chaos, it appears to me in that verse, 614, that the world's over at that point. The sky's rolled up, and what you have coming back to our chapter today, chapter 8, are the trumpet judgments, which actually lay on top of the seals, and they happen simultaneously with them. And they're another way of looking at how God is going to bring judgment on the world. At the same time, the seals are unfolding, the trumpets are blowing. I, I don't really know if it matters how you see them, whether or not, but I, I think it makes sense to see them this way as happening simultaneously, each described in an increasing way. Be that as it may, we're going to come to chapter 8 today and see the next set of, of judgments, because if you open your Bible to chapter 8 and verse 1, it says, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, oh, seventh seal, so we had to skip chapter 7 which we talked about last week, how does God seal the people who belong to him. Um, you can check that out at the greatest hits at calvarybible.com and see that last week. Um, God, the Lamb opened the seventh seal and there was silence in the heavens for about a half hour. Silence in heaven. And the seal broken is now going to open the seven trumpets. After a praise of flurry in chapters 4 and 5, now it's silent. I don't know what's happening in the silence, but no one is speaking at all. Then I saw seven angels who stand before God and seven trumpets that were given to them. So the seventh seal judgment opens the seven trumpets. And we're going to look at what those are. Verse 3, And another angel came, and stood at the altar of the golden cen- with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. A strange scene John is seeing. An angel stands near the altar, which was the place of incense offering and prayer, and he was given much incense Watch this, with the prayers of all the saints, twice spoken here, then in verse 4, with the prayers of the saints. I just want you to have a picture that what John is seeing is that the prayers of God's people are accumulating, if you will, in the vision of symbolic imagery, the prayers of God's people are at the altar. And the next verse, verse 5 says, So the angel scoops all them up with the censer and he fills it with fire from the altar and he threw it to the earth. So he scoops it all up and then dumps out the incense burning and the prayers of the saints and the trumpets come out of the prayers and the incense. This is John's vision. Not literal, right? We're we're thinking, what is the picture John is seeing here? And the whole earth thunders, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. When have you seen God work in human history where there's lightning, thunder, earthquakes? When does it usually happen? Anybody? Old Testament Sinai. 
Okay, Mount Sinai. God's giving his Ten Commandments. What happens? Peals of thunder. God comes down and he gives Ten Commandments. God is speaking a revelation from God to man of what we would not know unless God gave it and the world goes. That's the picture. Now John's seeing this in his vision. And then what follows is um, the trumpets. Now let's think, think about a trumpet. When have you heard a trumpet the last time you heard a trumpet? You don't, use it, you don't hear it that much, but in the Old Testament, a trumpet was used when you would call people to a feast or there would be an announcement for a king or a great celebration, some announcement to be made in the kingdom. You know, a trumpet would be made. But most often, a trumpet was sounded for a warning that some impending peril was going to come to the people and the trumpeter would get out and blow the trumpet and the trumpet would have a message in it that people would respond to. In Joel chapter 2, verse 1, God actually says through the prophet Joel, blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and darkness. The day of the Lord is great and awesome. Who can endure it? Blow the trumpet. That's Old Testament imagery. So when you see John seeing something in heaven and we're going to hear trumpet judgments, it's a trumpet of warning. In fact, in Ezekiel chapter 33, Ezekiel said that every city should have a watchman and Jerusalem has a watchman. And the watchman of the city, if he sees the sword coming against the city, he blows the trumpet and warns the people. And if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and didn't take warning, and his blood will be on himself. If he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. Everybody understand how that works? But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, the sword comes and takes any of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood will be required of the watchman who didn't blow the trumpet. The trumpet is a warning. So as we're reading through these six trumpet judgments, I want you to just have in your mind, these are given to us in the book of Revelation as a warning. Okay, now we're not going to go through every little detail, but let me show you the uh, quick picture of the first four of the trumpet judgments. Here they are, beginning in verse 6 of chapter 9. 8, excuse me. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown to the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the grass was burned up. Hmm. What's happening? Something's coming out of heaven, hail, fire, and it's impacting the earth. The way John sees the vision is a third of the earth was burned up. Um, is it atmospheric disruption, hail? Not sure. But you can see that this is an attack on the land. Verse 8, the second trumpet blew his trumpet. And something like a great mountain came out of heaven, burning with fire, was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. 
Something's happening to the sea. Creatures in it, the constituency of it, and all of the commerce and trade of boats on the sea, one-third. Ten, the angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven like a blazing uh, torch and fell on a third of the rivers and the springs of water. It was called Wormwood, and the waters became bitter and people died from it. Another object falls out of heaven, a comet maybe, I don't know, polluting the the fresh water, Wormwood, poison. Verse 12, fourth angel came, blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, a third of their light was darkened, a third of the day kept from shining, likewise a third of the night. What are you seeing here? Don't know exactly. Celestial disruption that God is bringing that darkens the world, disrupts climate patterns, tides, storms. Jesus said in Luke 21 that there will be signs in the moon and the stars and the sun at the end of the age. I don't know what John is seeing, but he just saw four trumpets blow. And things out of heaven came and touched the land, sea, fresh water, and the celestial space. That's what he's seeing. I can't tell you exactly what's happening cosmologically. I can't. I don't know exactly. But it certainly could be. God intervening with meteor shower or whatever that happens. I'm not sure that's necessarily the point, given that these are trumpets that are blown to be a warning for people. What do you notice about each of these stated? One-third. Okay, what? Well, remember numbers and symbols are important. What does one-third indicate? One-third is fractional. Fractional means not complete. And that means that the judgment of God is coming, but it's not fully here yet. And so it's coming as an expression of mercy that while God is worthy to bring total judgment on the world, He blows these trumpet judgments that John sees and something happens in the earth, in land and sea and river and sky so that there is a partial impact to the world. And that's to be a merciful warning that the end is coming, but it is not here yet. These fractions are not statistical precision as much as symbolic impression about a partial judgment here. You'll see later in chapter 5 that the next two judgments come with a condition of only for five months, and I think it's for the same reason. It's at this point in the sermon that I just want to stop and say, are you, how are you doing? This is, this is like stuff we don't usually talk about. It's not the passage that you read all the time, but you okay? Okay, look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, uh, Then I looked and I heard an angel crying. After the first four trumpets are blown, I see an angel flying in, in mid-space, and he says, Whoa, whoa, whoa! To everybody who dwells on the earth, at the blasts of the other trumpets, that the three angels are about to blow. Like you haven't seen anything yet. It's, gonna, it's about to get really bad. It's going to get worse. And so there are these first four, which by the way is a very similar pattern to chapter 6 in the seal judgments. There were four seal judgments that went together and then two. And when you come to the trumpet judgments in chapter 8, you see four 
So the land, sea, water, sky, and then these next two. And these next two, um, just sort of buckle up here. These next two are just apocalyptic language of a judgment. So here's five and six. Five and six are locusts and the release of four angels. These are worse. So, um, in chapter 9, verse 1, the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fall from heaven, and he was given a key to the shaft of the bottomless pit, and he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft there rose smoke like a great, from a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Verse 3, the smoke, from the smoke came locusts on the earth. And they were given power like the power of the scorpion of the earth. <clears throat> Watch now. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Okay, something just went worse. From the land being impacted to humans being impacted. Okay, whenever anybody reads Revelation, you want to try to discern, like, is this an image, a symbol, or literal? I would argue to you that this text defines that the locusts are not literal in that they don't eat grass. The locusts are not real locusts, but they are what John sees coming up out of the pit of hell, and they, I think, would be demonic influences <clears throat> that God has kept in the pit, sealed, <clears throat> excuse me, which he will allow at the end of the age to be released to torment people, to actually have their way in bringing a kind of judgment that God allows in a demonic fashion. Before we go further, can I just ask you a question as you're thinking, hearing the words that I'm saying? You say, really? God would let that. Well, can I just ask you, have you ever looked around our present world and thought, it seems to me there really could be some demonic, devilish influence that leads people to act in a certain way. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever just thought people are, they're just really good and then environment takes them wrong? Or do you really think it's possible that there are demonic influences that lead people away from God and into sin and rebellion against God? I mean, we look around today and say there's a roaring lion seeking someone he may devour. There is a, a prince in power of the air who is now working in the sons of disobedience, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. There are principalities and powers who are at work today. And if you don't know that, you, you should just be aware there is a spiritual battle for, for the souls of all of us and our children and we say, man, that's real. So we think at the end of the age, is it possible that as a form of judgment on a world that refused to acknowledge God, God might crack the lid and let more of that happen? I, I sense that is actually what's happening here. And they are described um, in verse 11. They have as over them these locusts, demons, an angel from the bottomless pit, and his name is Abaddon. He's called by Greek Apollyon. That means place of destruction or the destroyer 
respectively. Um, it's just a picture that I'm not going to go too much further to say it's, a, it's kind of a mess of demonic influence. I think that's what it is. That's five. And then six, the sixth trumpet, there are these angels. Release the angels who are bound at the river of Euphrates. And so the four angels, verse 15, who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, according to the Lord's plan, are released to kill a third of mankind. Here's another fractional judgment and consequence that a third of mankind are killed, which is a lot of people, if it's literal. And the number of the troops are described there. And uh, verse 18, you can see that by the three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. I can't go into all the detail. I'm, I don't know what all of the details in these verses literally mean. If it's a symbol, and it's, I think John is seeing something. These are powerful forces in the world. Again, I would say these are probably more demonic forces being released that actually have power to take the lives of those who don't have the seal of God, those who are dwelling on the earth away from submission to God. Hey man, that's, that's intense. Remember what it is? It's a trumpet. Warning. Warning. These things happen. Warning. And we would like to think, I wonder what happens when the warning goes out. I want to show it to you in a minute. But this is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Where's 7? It's not here. We, gotta, we have to come back for 10 and 11 before we get to, but look over at, if you will, chapter 11 and verse 15. How many of you are, are reading your Bible right now or that journal? I just want to look and see. Got it in front of you? Okay, so now you're looking at chapter 11, verse 15. And we've had an interlude from the sixth trumpet to the last trumpet, which we'll look at next week. But in 15, then the angel, seventh angel, blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Or, the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, He shall reign forever and ever. It's hallelujah. It's like it's over. He's reigning. It's like the end. So that's why I think, actually, if you look at the seals, one, two, three, four, five, six, and six is the summation that like the world dissolves. And then you get to the seven and you have another sort of mirror picture in the seventh trumpet that he shall reign. It has become, I think it's a picture in John's vision of the end. But be that as may, we're through the six trumpets. How do you think the world's responding to the six trumpets as John sees it? Well, let's look at what it tells us in verse 20. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, six trumpets, did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons or idols or gold or silver or bronze or stone or wood, which cannot see or walk or hear, that is, the idols can't, 
nor did they repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Track with me. Trumpet one, trumpet two, you know, six trumpets. And how does the world reply? Why does everyone not fall on their knees and say, Oh God, you are the God above all gods. I repent in sackcloth and ashes and I receive you. Is that what's happened? No, there's a hardening of their heart. And what does that trigger in your mind when you see the plagues that came and they did not repent? All right, every good Bible student is thinking in your mind, this sounds a lot like the Exodus and Moses. And Moses going to Pharaoh and saying, I will show you this plague, and I will show you that plague, and I will show you that plague, and surely you will repent. Nope. 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 Okay, I'll blow this trumpet, and that trumpet, and that trumpet, and you'll repent. Nope. A few do. In fact, I think in this great tribulation period, it will be a period of spiritual renewal. I think people will come to faith, but many people will not. I think that's a warning for us in our day. We have a job to do. We have a job to tell people. You should repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Remember, the judgment is coming, but the judgment's already been paid because Jesus paid it all. Fall on your knees and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you will escape the wrath of God to come. Hallelujah. Now, um, I've been trying to figure out what is the way to turn this bad news into blessing. He said, I want you to be blessed by coming to church. You go home and say, ah. No, this is what I want you to think. I want to give you three things that I, I hope you'll go away saying. God blessed me at church today. Number one. Number one is that God always hears the prayers of His saints. He always hears the prayers of His saints. There are two times. Once in chapter 6 and then in chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, where the prayers of the saints, as I said, are seen to have accumulated at the feet of Jesus, at the altar before him. It's a vision, a picture, but it tells me that God is hearing the prayers of his people and they're not going unnoticed. And in fact, the end of the judgment is he scoops up, John sees him scoop up those prayers, put them in a deal and pour the prayers out. How long, O oh Lord? No longer. Like right now. I'm going to answer. It's now. And I just want you to have a picture that the Bible gives you about prayers. Your prayers are not wasted. Your prayers are not lost. God sees, He hears, He feels, and He has come down, He told the people of Israel. I want you in 2023 living in a world that's broken and you're feeling discouraged by what's happening in the Middle East and in the middle of your family, and in the middle of your week, you feel discouraged every time. Maybe there's so much problems. I want you to be encouraged to know that God always hears the prayers of His saints. He's always listening. He's always watching. He wants to answer. 
So cast your cares on the Lord because He does care for you. You ever gotten discouraged about praying? Who's given up praying? I mean, we've gone through seasons where we say, I'm not seeing anything, and you quit praying. Don't. You just might need courage to say, okay, if my prayers are being collected before God and He sees them, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to pray for my lost loved one. I'm going to pray for peace in the Middle East. I'm going to pray that the Messiah would be known as the Messiah in places where he's rejected around the world. Don't give up praying. Number two, all of these judgments that we're talking about that really feel kind of grievous at times, when you look at them and say, what, that's going to happen? This is going to be terrible? What we should know is all of the judgments of God flow out of his holiness and his worth. Remember, chapter 4 and 5 are the controlling message of the book of Revelation. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. He is worthy to receive glory and honor and power and riches and majesty. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. None of these judgments happen because God wigged out and lost his temper. God is not capricious. God doesn't fly off the handle. In fact, he is patient. You might remember that 2 Peter chapter 3 says that in the last days, like our days, people will say, yeah, I can't believe you're preaching the book of Revelation. Where's the promise of Jesus coming? Since the beginning, since he went to the, you know, the cross, people have said, oh, he's coming again. Paul said it. Peter said it. John said it. You say he's coming back. Where's the promise of his coming? You ever have anybody say that? Scoff at this promise that we're looking at? And yet Peter said, don't you know? He's, the Lord is not short concerning his promises. He's going to keep his promises. Oh, his, one day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But the Lord is not sh- slack about what he promised. He's just not willing that any should perish. He's waiting. Why? He, isn't, he's not waiting to wig out on us. He's waiting for us to repent. That leads us to the last one. Point number three says that God's judgment up until the end are intended to be a warning to repent. Will you repent now? No. Will you repent now? No. Remember, the picture is they saw all these things, and did they repent? No. Oh, what does that just help us know? When, when something happens in the world, pay attention now, and an event occurs in the Middle East, And we think, is this a trumpet call of God to say, hey, repent and believe in the one true God, the King of Kings who's on the throne? What if we conceptualized what happened last week without regard to anything here in these chapters as God calling, repent, repent. We have time. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 9 says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. This is Old Testament, Exodus, when your fathers put me to the test and I and saw all my works for 40 years. They saw me, saw me, saw me, saw me, saw me, and they didn't repent. 
Don't be like that. Hey, Boulder, we got a really dangerous experience living in Boulder with everything we need in basic security, and these things are happening around the world, and there's a warning going out that says, don't let your heart be hardened. Don't get hard against the things of, the God, of God. Open up your heart. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. That's the call. And for all of us as a church, Hebrews 3, verse 12 through 14, I'm going to close our service with this, where he just says, Take care, brothers, lest in any of you there is an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Calvary, I want you to exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin has a way of making your heart hard. In fact, I would just say, if you're living in sin right now, you've got a secret sin that nobody else knows about, you might have something going on in you that you don't even know about, but as long as you're giving yourself to sin when you know God wants you to pursue holiness in the fear of God, as long as you're in rebellion, what's going to happen on the interior of your soul is a kind of crusty hardness it's going to make you insensitive to the things of God. And the warning is, this has always happened. It happened in the Exodus when God gave His plagues there and people's heart got hardened. It happened at the cross where Jesus was merciful to everybody, but most of the world rejected Jesus Himself. And then at the end of the age, it's no surprise that when God sends these increasingly dramatic warning judgments, people's hearts become hard. What are we going to do? This has been written to us that by these things we would learn, Lord, I want to pray all the time. I, I know who you are. You're the holy and worthy one. And I, I just want to be in a position where my heart is repentant. I want to turn away from sin. Anybody want to ask any questions before we close in prayer? I think this is the way to turn the book of Revelation into a blessing is for us to Let's pray more. Let's repent more. And let's say, come Lord Jesus. All right. Why don't we stand together? I think we'll stand together for closing prayer. Would you like to sing the doxology? This is the cry of heaven, right? Praise God from whom... Every blessing flows. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God our Father and the fellowship of the Spirit of God be with us. To you be praise.
glory and honor, Lord Jesus, now and forevermore we pray.